Now, we want to talk about the cross. The cross. And I thought about the whole issue of the cross. You know, it really makes a lot of people uncomfortable. When you start talking about the cross and death, blood, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. A lot of people would rather be able to have a church that doesn't talk about the cross. Because the cross reminds us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so that whole issue, some churches just kind of skip that. And it becomes a social club. And we don't want to be a social club. We want to be a hospital for hurting people. And Jesus is the answer to what they need. But I I thought about, most everybody knows those days leading up to his death. But as I was praying, I, I thought about the road to the cross was far longer than those few short days. The world, they think about Palm Sunday, which is today. They think about how Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then they it all concludes with Easter, the resurrection the next week. And so that's the extent. They think that one week, everything happened. But I would like to say to you that the road to the cross started before the foundations of the earth. Before the foundations of the earth. And even though the world considers the preaching of the cross foolishness, that's what basically it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know what? It is the very power of God. So regardless of what the world thinks of the cross, we know that it's the power of God. So I want to take you on a journey. I want to show you from the very beginning the road to the cross. And it actually, you think about it, it's in Revelation 13 verse 8. And it's an interesting verse that tells us three important things. I want you to look at this verse. It says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. And and the him is referring to the Antichrist. Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So you can see there's several things being spoken there. First of all, it tells us that in the last days, if your name is written in the lamb book of life, you will not worship the beast. You will not worship the Antichrist. Why? Because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have given your heart and your life to Jesus. It also tells us that all the people who have rejected Jesus will worship the beast. But then at the end of that verse, it gives us an amazing truth. That the Lamb, Jesus, was slain from the foundations of the earth. What is that telling us? That's saying the road to the cross began when the world was created. At the very foundation of the world, the plan 
for the cross was devised. Why did God plan for the cross at the foundation of the world? Because he gave us free will. Because that was part of his plan. He wanted you and I to have the free will to choose God. And as soon as God gave us free will, then came the capacity for man to reject God. And so God planned for your redemption when he created the world. Think about that. The cross and the plan of salvation was created and planned by God when he created the world. And then you begin to see that the story in the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, is an unfolding of God's amazing divine plan. And salt and peppered throughout the Old and New Testament are truths and pictures of the cross. The very first stop for the road to the cross actually begins in the Garden of Eden. Remember, God was speaking to Satan, the serpent. And he said this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, meaning the offspring of woman will strike your head. Some translations say will crush your head. And you, referring to Satan, will strike his heel. There'll be a wound, but it won't be fatal. Right there. Now, did Satan understand that when God spoke that? I doubt it. I doubt if he understood the full implications, but right there, God was giving us a picture. Small, but it was a picture of the cross. God was saying to Satan, Satan, the day is going to come that there's going to be an offspring of woman, and he's going to crush, strike your head. He's going to destroy you. You will be able to strike his heel. A minor wound, but he will crush you. And I'm sure Satan would have loved to have had the full understanding. But God was not going to give him full understanding. And then the road continues through Abraham and Isaac. To me, one of the favorite stories that give us another picture of the road to the cross. Remember the story Abraham and Isaac We're told, Abraham was told by God to take his son and offer his son up as a sacrifice. And Abraham obeyed God. And and about halfway up the mountain, it says that Abraham put the wood on Isaac's back. And he began to carry the wood up the mountain, the mountain of the Lord. And Isaac stopped and said, Dad, I see everything needed. I see the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And look what the Lord inspired Abraham to say. It's in Genesis 
22, verse 8, he says this, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb, the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And then just a little bit later, you know the story, he raises the knife. And God says, don't touch the boy. And God provides a ram as a sacrifice that has just shown up somehow and is caught in a thicket. And look what he says, just a few verses there in 22, 14. It says, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, what's really interesting, and when you begin to do the study, and you begin to realize where they were, they were at the mountains of Jerusalem. And they were at the tallest mountain of Jerusalem. Little did Abraham realize that they had trekked up that mountain and Isaac had carried his wood up the same mountain that 2,000 years later Jesus would carry the cross up. And no wonder they called that mountain 2,000 years before Jesus was crucified. They called the mountain the Lord will provide. You think God wasn't sending us a picture? He was telling Abraham. He was telling Isaac. He was in a sense telegraphing to the world. At this very place, I'm going to provide. And even Abraham said it and didn't realize what he said. The Lord will provide himself a lamb. Again, the Holy Spirit is speaking through the prophets. He's preparing and he's, he's showing us a picture of the road to the cross all through the Old and New Testament. The third part, portion to me is one of the most amazing. And this, now this takes place, takes place 750 years before the birth of Jesus. And Isaiah the prophet writes a prophetic word. And I want us to read. I know this is a little long, but I want you to read this passage and consider how powerful this is, considering it was written 750 years before Jesus was born. Look at this in verse uh, 1 through 9, Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful. Are majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his, for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. 
All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. How could a prophet, 750 years before Jesus, write that? Except that it was God giving us a picture of the road to the cross. How amazingly powerful this is as it describes Jesus going to the cross for us. Led like a lamb to the slaughter. Beaten for our transgressions. Beaten so that we could be healed. Didn't open his mouth before his accusers, all the things that happened at the cross. Isaiah, the prophet, wrote about it 750 years before it ever, before he was ever born. It's God's amazing ability to know his plan long before it ever happens. You know, I don't understand how God can know what's going to happen a thousand years ahead of time. We have a hard time remembering what happened yesterday. And we sure don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And there's no way we can know what's going to happen a week from now or two weeks from now. Yet God knows what's going to happen thousands of years ahead of time. Who else but our God can do this? And that leads us to the fourth thing that I see in the road to the cross. And that is, it includes his supernatural birth and his supernatural life. And most of you know the prophetic word in Isaiah seven fourteen. It says, all right then, he was refer- he's, he's speaking to Isaiah. And he said, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right there, God prophesies a son that would be born of a virgin. You know, the fact that he was born of a virgin was the beginning of a supernatural life. And I began to think, who else but Jesus lived a supernatural life like Jesus? There's no one. Who else? Who else walked on water? Who else caused the blind to see? Who else caused limbs to grow? Who else caused the the dead to be raised to life? Jesus lived a supernatural life. Even at the end of the book of John, it says, we've written a whole lot about him, but there's so much that he did, we can't write it all. He lived a supernatural life. And when I thought about that yesterday as I was preparing, I said, Lord, 
Why? You could have died for us on that cross without living a supernatural life. Why did you live a supernatural life? The answer is so simple. He lived a supernatural life because he wanted you to know that it was God himself dying on that cross. When he died on that cross, he wanted you to know that wasn't just a man dying for you. That was God himself. His divinity was proven by his miraculous life. It started with his miraculous birth, born of a virgin. But that wasn't the end of it. His whole life was one miracle after the other. All for one reason. It was to tell you, this is God. And when he died, and when he put his arms out, nailed to the cross... He wanted you to know that it was God himself was dying for you. Amazing. The road to the cross, it involved that supernatural life. The fifth thing that I thought about as far as the road to the cross, and that was, and this is, it's hard to understand in a way, but it included His rejection by the religious leaders. The religious leaders hated Jesus. They rejected him. They were jealous of him. And they absolutely hated him. Now follow this. God used their hatred. Is that amazing? You say, how could God use their hatred? Hatred. He did. He used their hatred to drive him to the cross. It's one reason he didn't open his mouth. It's one reason he didn't have to defend himself. It's one reason he he didn't have to try and bring witnesses. It's one reason he didn't send down a thousand angels to to deliver him. Why? Because God's plan was to use their hatred to drive him to the cross. And I thought how sometimes in our life we see things happen and we get so angry at this person and that person. I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they're doing this. And yet sometimes God is using those things to drive us to the place where he wants us. He's trying to speak to our hearts. And we wonder what in the world is going on and yet God is at work. God is at work. Working his plan. Now, what is going on in hell at this time? Well, I, I, I firmly believe when he's being beaten and he's not opening his mouth, he's not defending himself, Satan is laughing. They're probably having a party in hell. They're jumping up and down and thinking his weakness is foolishness. They're thinking, we are having our way with the Son of God. And we are going to get rid of Him. And we're going to use the religious leaders to accomplish Satan's purpose. But all the same time, God was working His plan. They thought it was their plan. They thought they were pulling something over on God. God 
knew what he was doing. He had the final say-so. But at this time, heaven is silent. Jesus is silent. The plan, the road to the cross, is making its way. And then it included an interesting story. And it, in the Gospels, it, it, it includes one verse. <laughs> and, and this sixth thing I want you to see, and that is it includes the Jesus' struggle to carry the cross. Remember that? Now, in a practical sense, I, I'm, I'm guessing that Jesus had a loss of blood. He had been beaten tremendously. And so, from a loss of blood itself, he was struggling to carry the cross. And it, it tells it tells us it's included in several of the Gospels. But look at Luke 23. Verse 26, it says, And they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. One verse. And I thought, why why was this in there? I happen to believe everything that happened in this event, because this was the weekend that changed the world. Nothing happened by chance. So God had a plan and a purpose for every small detail. And then I thought about what Jesus said in Matthew 10. And I wonder if anybody put the pieces together. Remember what Jesus said? It's in Matthew 10, verse 38 and 39. Jesus said this, and this is early in his ministry. He said, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, You're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll give up your life for me, you will find it. Now, he said that about taking up the cross and following Jesus. What did they they say? They said he was following Jesus, right? Followed behind Jesus, carrying the cross. I wonder if anybody put that together. Why? You see, I happen to believe what Simon of Cyrene did that day was a picture of what God calls all of us to do. He calls all of us to pick up a cross. Now, what is a cross? A cross is an instrument of death, but it's not quick death. It's... Slow death. Jesus is saying, through Simon of Cyrene carrying that cross, he was saying, I call all my disciples, all of my believers, to be willing to die to themselves daily, to die a slow death, giving up your way, and saying, God, For your glory and your honor, I live my life.
It is the giving up of ourselves. Jesus, the cross for him, the cross for Jesus was the way of our salvation. It was the place where his blood was shed so that we could we could be forgiven. But the cross for us, it's the way that we can stop living for ourselves and begin living for the glory of God. You see, I believe every believer has to come to some point in their life. They believe in Jesus. They've accepted Him as Lord. They, they, they've given their hearts. They've confessed Jesus. They've asked for forgiveness of sin. But at some point, you're going to have to be willing to say, Lord, I give up my life. Not my way, but yours. In other words... At some point, you're going to have to develop. And I'm not sure if this is an English word or not, but if it's not, it should be. You have to have an unoffendable faith. Now, when I wrote that out, my spell check said it wasn't a word. I'm going to have to get together with my spell check. Explain to him there is a word like that. Unoffendable. Unoffendable means, my translation is, if I'm dead to myself and I don't live to get my way, then there is no possible way you can offend me. If the old man is dead, it's hard to offend a dead man. And so therefore I live to his glory. And what Lifts him up is what I want to do. But you know, it's amazing. So much of Christianity, and not just Christianity, but all over the world, everybody's getting offended for everything. Have you noticed that? And everybody, they tell me in colleges and universities, you have to have safe spaces so you won't get offended. What about your crybabies? I don't think we need cry spaces, places where we can be safe from being offended. If we're a believer in Jesus Christ and we've given up our life, if we've done what he said in Matthew 10, take up that cross, take up that instrument of slow death and die to yourself every day and say, I'm going to live for the glory of God and not my own glory. It doesn't have to be my way. God, your way, not my way. And that's what he said in the garden before he made it. He said, Lord, your will, not my will be done. And he sweat great drops of blood coming to that place where he refused to be offended. And I, I want to say to you that if we're going to enjoy life, if we're going to enjoy life, we have to come to that place where we pick up that cross. That thing that where we die to our way and say, Lord, your way. And you can't offend me. You can hurt my feelings, but I'm going to let it go. You can speak bad about me, I'm going to let it go. You can say all manner of evil against me, I'm going to let it go. You can try to offend me, and I might be offended for a few minutes. 
<laughs> Maybe a few hours. I don't know. We'll see. But at some point, you have to give it to him. Say, I don't have time. I don't have time to waste being offended. And the last thing, the last part of the road to the cross is right there at the cross. And I'm, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask if you just read with me the picture of his crucifixion. It's Matthew 27. This leads to the death of Jesus. Matthew 27. We're going to pick up with the story from Matthew. We're going to the same mention of Simon of Cyrene. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They went to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And the soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. And after they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. By the way, that was a fulfillment of Scripture. The prophets spoke that. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, a fulfillment of Scripture. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. People passed by, shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priest, the teacher of the religious law, and the elders, they also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. I doubt that. He wanted trust, He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. And at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until about 3 o'clock. That must have been scary. And about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up for him on a reed stick so he could drink. But he, the rest said, wait, let's, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rock split apart. You know, it doesn't mention it here. But in verse 50, it says, Then he shouted out again and he released his spirit. John 19, verse 31, tells us what he said. He said this in John nineteen thirty-one. Then Jesus had tasted it. He said, it is finished. It's finished. And he bowed his head. And he released his spirit. Was Jesus, when he said it is finished, was Jesus talking about his 33 years on the earth? 
it's finished. No. He wasn't talking about 33 years. He was talking about from the foundations of the world. The plan, the road to the cross that began at the very foundations of the world. It is now finished. The plan of God that he has woven throughout the Old and New Testament. Giving picture after picture after picture. And we just touched a few of them. They're all through the Psalms and all through the Word of God. Pictures of Jesus crucified at the cross. When he said it is finished, he was saying God's plan of salvation for mankind is finished. He was saying it is finished. Now mankind can be truly forgiven. The plan for Satan to be destroyed and his hold of sin over mankind, it is now finished. It's finished that mankind could now have relationship with God. Now mankind could be forgiven, truly forgiven by the blood of Jesus. It's now finished. He was looking at God's amazing plan from the foundation of the earth to the cross. It's now finished. He set out to finish it. God spoke of it throughout the Old and New Testament. And now here's the completion. It's not the end. But the plan of salvation is finished. Now begins a brand new plan. A plan of new life. The beginning of the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in man. And if that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, we, He will quicken our mortal body. The Holy Spirit can dwell in us. But that's next week. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Preach two two sermons in once. What an amazing story. What an amazing plan. All of this, all of this is to say one thing. He invites you. It's It's God's invitation. Accept His offer. Of forgiveness. Accept his offer. Of new life. It's an invitation. That has been out there. For literally. Hundreds. Thousands of years. The plan of God. We celebrate the weekend. That changed the world. The road to the cross. Has now ended. At the cross. There's a new road beginning. The new road of resurrection. But the offer, the offer to you is new life. You can have forgiveness. You can learn to live an unoffendable life. Will you be hurt? Absolutely. Will you be offended? I'm sure you will be. 
but you let it go. You just roll it off. Say, I've got better things to do. (laughs) I've got more important things to do. Kind of like Nehemiah when he's building the wall. He was up there on the wall, had a sword in one hand, had trowel in the other. And Sanballat and Tobiah tried to get him to come down. He said, oh, no, no, I ain't falling for that trick. I've got more important things to do. I'm not coming down from this wall. I'm going to finish what God has called me to do. I'm not coming to any invitation. It was all a trap anyway. And when we get offended, it's just an invitation to fall into Satan's plan. To divert us and stop us. The invitation is for every person in this room. You can have forgiveness. You can have new life. It's open to you. If you don't know Jesus, the offer is to you. The saddest thing I can think of is that you would hear week after week after week the offer that God has for you and you would turn it down. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I pray for every person in this room. Lord, the best I know how. I've given the road to the cross. The plan that you devised before the foundations of the earth. And now, Lord, the question is an invitation for every person. Will we accept his offer of forgiveness? Will we die to our way and say, Lord, your way and not mine? It doesn't have to be my way, Lord. Your ways. And if you don't know him, if you don't know Jesus, you can have new life. You can, you can be born again today. The offer is there. The invitation is there. The Holy Spirit yearns and pulls and draws men and women in this room. He's, he's pulling. He's drawing you. He's compelling. He's speaking to some hearts here this morning that you've heard the message, the offer that God has for you. Some people think God is a God who's angry and ready to punish sin. But I say to you, God is a God who loves you and cares for you and has gone to great lengths provide for your salvation and a relationship with you he cares about you the worship team is going to sing that song we sang earlier oh come to the altar and as they sing that song I'm going to ask you first of all to stand to your feet but I'm also going to ask you to respond to the invitation there are people in this room you should you should be running to the altar god has spoken to you today and you need to accept that offer of salvation that offer of forgiveness i'm going to ask you to get out of your seat come down to the front and accept 
his offer. I want to pray with you. I want to pray that God would begin a brand new life in you. Would you meet me right down here if you would be willing to receive that offer of salvation? His offer Do of salvation, His offer of forgiveness. Anyone, would you be willing to say, Yes, I need that forgiveness. I want God's forgiveness. It's free, but you have to be willing to say, Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you for coming. Anyone, there are other people in this room. Come on up, right here. Yeah. Forgiveness was born. Thank you for coming. Thank you for responding. I believe there's some other people. We're going to wait just a moment. Anyone else to receive that offer of forgiveness? A brand new life. Would you come? Thank you, young man. Anyone else? God, by His Holy Spirit, is speaking to some people here this morning. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes. Thank you, young lady. Anyone else? I don't like to belabor this, but I just feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to the heart of someone. While while you have time, while the offer is there, while you have the opportunity to receive Jesus, I encourage you, respond today while there is time. Anyone else? I pray with these that have responded. Thank you for responding, each one of you. Anyone else? A young man. Let's sing it. just a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer of accepting and receiving the gift of salvation. This is, you know, the amazing thing about God is that when you pray this prayer, something happens on the inside. Hard to explain, but the book of Ezekiel 36, 26 says he takes out the old heart and he puts in a new heart. (laughs) And then he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. That's what Jesus talked about in John 14. He said the Holy Spirit would come to live inside of us. And so when you're born again, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, He comes to reside on the inside of you. You get forgiveness of your sin. You know, here's the amazing thing. When you walk out of this room today, you're going to have no sin in your life. Like God takes your sin, it just washes it away. New, New slate. 
washes it away, you will mess up. It happens. But now that you're, when you're born again, when you do that, when you mess up, you sin, you can ask God for forgiveness and He instantly forgives you. So I'm going to ask you to just pray out loud with me, okay? You with me? And y'all can, if you want to pray, y'all can pray out, out loud with me. Let's just pray it. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. I accept the blood of Jesus as forgiveness for my sin. I accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. Come into my heart, Lord. Give me a new heart. Take out that old heart. Give me a brand new one. Thank you, Lord. Today, I am born again. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I will never be the same. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless your heart. Amen. Thank you for responding. Brother Freddie here is our follow-up guy, and he's got some of his workers here. What we'd like to do is, uh, all we'd like to know is just maybe you fill out a card uh, so we know more about you and we can follow up and know who you are and if you need any help we'd like to be there to help you so you he can uh you can follow him and he he's got some and also wants to give you a bible a great bible to give you amen may the lord bless you and keep you hallelujah you are dismissed see you next easter sunday resurrection morning amen see you